Welcome to Declaration, where we exist to help people encounter and follow Jesus. Here at Declaration, we believe that God has a word for you and for your family, to live a life of fullness and to be faithful to Christ and His church. If you want to know more about who we are at Declaration Church, then I highly encourage you to visit declaration.org. Well, let's jump in this morning. Um, It has been said that when life is unfair, put your faith in the Lord. Be faithful to Him, and if things get worse... Keep putting your faith in the Lord. Don't stop trusting the one, the only one who is absolutely trustworthy. Do not stop trusting. Now, I read a story about a young paratrooper who was in the process of learning to jump. Anybody ever decided that that'd be a good idea to dare God, defy gravity, and jump out of an airplane? These are just things that I'm good. I'm like, I don't need to go that deep in the water. That's where the shark's house is. I'm good. So this young paratrooper, he's in the process of learning to jump. He was giving, given some very specific instruction. First, jump when you're told, not before, not after. Jump when you're told. Number two, count to 10 and then pull the ripcord. Number three, in the unlikely and unfortunate event that that parachute doesn't open, pull the other ripcord for the backup chute. And then fourth, when you get down, a truck is going to take you back to the base. Four steps. Jump when you're told. Count to 10. Pull the cord. Uh-oh. Pull the next cord. There's going to be a truck down there waiting for you. It's going to take you back, right? So the plane ascends to the proper height. Men start peeling out, jumping. And it finally gets to the young paratrooper. And, and sure enough, they say, you ready? Jump. He takes out. And um, sure enough, he counts to 10. He pulls the ripcord. The first chute actually fails to open. No panic. He pulls the second one. The second chute actually fails to open. So there he is in free fall, has just enough thought for a minute, and then he says out loud, well, great. When I get down there, that truck probably won't be there either. <laughs> life doesn't always go as planned. Right? Sometimes life can be downright unfair. Anybody? Sometimes we'll even feel as if we are in a free fall. So what do we do in those times? What do we do when things don't happen the way that they should or the way that we expect? What do we do or what happens when our experience doesn't match our expectation? What do we do when our plans and our dreams seem to come crashing down to the ground? Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Genesis 39. Um, as you do, I'm going to catch you up a bit just to where we landed after part one last week. Remembering that our theme verse is Ephesians 3.20 from the NIV says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. He can do immeasurably more than we can imagine. So last week we started this series called Imagine, where we were introduced to the family of Jacob, most notably his son, Joseph, teenage boy. Um, he was the father, at the time, he was the father's youngest. Um, he was growing up in a deeply divided household. He's got two, you know, stepmoms, the two first wives, a lot of brothers, half-brothers, stepbrothers, if you will. He's a shepherd. He's an apprentice to the brothers, the older ones. They hated him because he seemed to have a special favor on his life. After all, he was his dad's favorite, um, his father. Father had made this special coat, this special tunic for him, which signaled to the fam that he was the father's choice to be the heir of all of them. So he was obviously set apart, special. And as the story opened, we saw that Joseph had had these dreams from God. Um, he shared the dreams. Maybe that was his downfall a bit, but he shared the dreams with his brothers. He shared the dreams with his dad. The dream would reveal of this future greatness, which includes the entire family eventually bowing to Joseph. 
One day, he would rule over all of them, basically, is what the dream was. Now, this made his brothers hate him even more. Um, they conspired against him. They wanted to get rid of him. It's there we see it turn, like this dark twist, this dark turn that would seemingly challenge Joseph's dream of greatness from God. Um, he would soon find himself feeling ridiculed and rejected. He'd be stripped of his tunic that his father gave him. He'd be pitched into this pit, abandoned and ultimately sold for a few pieces of silver and left to live in the middle of a very deeply unfair and seemingly dream-killing situation. That's Joseph, right? His current experience surely crushed any hope of expectation of greatness as he believed God had showed him in his dream. And that's where we pick up in chapter 39. Now, why did we go to 39? Because we were in 37. Because 38 is a very strange cherry-picked chapter. I don't know. I'm sure it's important. <laughs> but um, we go to 39 because we pick right up where 37 leaves off. And we see this right after being sold... Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, buys him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So now Joseph has been sold a second time, first to the Ishmaelites and now to an Egyptian officer who worked for Pharaoh. But notice scripture says in verse two, and this is so important because it kind of plays into the title of the message. Verse two, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, title being God's hand and God's plan. The Lord was with Joseph. Though with all that he had been going through, it probably may not have felt like the Lord was with him. Anybody ever felt that way? Like, okay, pastor, you know, whatever, from whenever, maybe today, currently, I hear what you're saying. I know that God will never leave you. God will never forsake you, blah, 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 blah. blah. But I feel like, I'm kind of out here abandoned, free-falling, and I don't know where he's at. So here's the first thing I want to point out, point out to us. No matter, listen, listen, no matter what it is that you've been through um, or going through, may ever go through, number one, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we can rest knowing that the Lord is with us. He is with you. You may wonder sometimes, but he may... Multiple promises all throughout the scripture that declares that he will never abandon you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never forget you. He will not abdicate anything about you to anything or anyone else. He is with you. Now, Joseph had been through it and he's not finished going through it yet. God had given them this dream, but so far his life looked anything and everything but. But scripture says the Lord was with Joseph. And because of that, it says he became a successful man. Successful. Everybody say success. Because I might frustrate you just a little bit in a second, but it's okay. Just stay with me. So he became a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, which tells us, listen, when God's presence is with you and his hand is on your life, your life will prosper. It will prosper. You will be successful. But listen to me, before you get all cranked up, some of us, what I'm saying, let me say this. Our definitions are where we can get tripped up often. Too many times we define success or our dreams 
They're all too often dictated by an Americanized view or definition of success. We need to be careful of how we define the word success or blessing or prosperity. However, it just so happens, look at the story with me, verse 3, that his master Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. He recognized that there was something special, something significant, that that God was with him and that the Lord had made everything that Joseph do prosper in his hand. In other words, everything Joseph was doing was seemingly working out. Why? Because the Lord was with him. The Lord was on him. All was prosperous, at least for what Potiphar could see. He had a posture of, he had a posture of rightness before God. He walked with integrity. His character, everything Joseph was doing was seemingly working out because of the Lord. Everything prosperous at least for what Potiphar could see. And there lies the issue of how we might define success. It's easy to see success on everyone else without seeing their backstory of how they've arrived to that destination. It's easy to see prosperity while not knowing the path that it took to get there. We could look at Steph Curry and think, he makes that look so easy. We have no idea, day after day, thousands, thousands of times, from every mark on the court, how he shot the basketball to learn the exact angle and height and jump and everything it would take to sink that three-pointer over. And it's easy to look and say, well, look at that prosperity and that success. We have no idea the path that it takes sometimes for people to get there. So how do you think, according to Joseph's dreams, that he may have defined success, right? We see that he found favor in Potiphar's sight. Verse four, he became his personal servant. Potiphar made him an overseer of his entire house, put him in charge of everything that he owned. Listen, sometimes life will bring you ups and downs. It's gonna bring some twists and turns. Seemingly after a really hard frame, Joseph now finds himself in a bit of reprieve from his days of ridicule and rejection. Someone finally sees something. Someone acknowledges something in him. He may not be fully living into the dream he once had, but he's finally seeing what could be perceived his favor once again. He's gone from being stripped of his tunic, stripped of his identity, stripped of his birthright, um, to being pitched into this pit, um, to be sold um, from you know by his brothers for just a bit of silver, to being sold again. Now he's captive in Egypt, and now he finds himself this servant, this slave. But this favor from this high-ranking officer that serves Pharaoh. So now he's given this measure of favor. He's given honor. He's given authority over Potiphar's household, over Potiphar's fields. See, listen, please be encouraged today, somebody, because no matter life's twists and turns, no matter life's ups and downs, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we can rest knowing that the Lord is with us. But also when we fully surrender our lives to Jesus, when our posture and our heart fully belongs to him, we will be successful. You will prosper. The path and the process could be painful, but you will prosper. But still, we got to be cautious with how we define this. Let me say say it like this. A life fully surrendered and lived for the glory of God will be fully satisfied in a successful life. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph lived a life fully surrendered to God, a life of integrity. Therefore, God's hand on his life brought a certain favor to his life. Look at verse five. It came about that from the time Potiphar made him overseer of his entire house and over all that he owned. And because of this, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's home on account of Joseph. 
So the Lord's blessing was upon all that Potiphar owned in the house and in the field. Think about this. What if the sum total of your whole existence, of the dream that God may have given you, what if the sum total of your whole existence is to bring blessing to somebody else? Would, it def- would you define that as successful? Right? Look at six. So Potiphar leaves Joseph in charge of everything he owns, and with him there, Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except, what am I about to eat? That's it. Joseph did everything. He took care of everything for Potiphar. And Potiphar had grown to completely trust Joseph. See, he saw the Lord's hand was on Joseph. He saw that everything Joseph did seemed to prosper. So he put Joseph in charge of everything that he owned. Why wouldn't he? But let me say this crazy Sometimes it's the people you least expect that will see God's promise and provision on your life. The story goes on. Once again, it gets complicated. Look at it. Now, Joseph, it says he was handsome in form and appearance. Handsome in form and appearance. Now, that's not an issue, but here's the issue. It came about that after these events that his master's wife had her eyes on Joseph. And she said, sleep with me. Now, this leads to my third point we need to be aware of. When God's hand is on your life, so is the enemy's target. So Potiphar's wife finds Joseph attractive. Scripture says she's been watching him, desiring him, obviously lusting after him. Brazenly, she approaches, trying to seduce him. But verse 8 says he refused. He rejected her solicitation and said to his master's wife, Look, 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 Lisa and Linda. Look, right? He says, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house and he has put me in charge of everything that he owns. So he's saying, I realize the favor and blessing that I'm living in here. There's no one greater in this house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Do you see his posture? Even in our humanity with our propensity to sin. This is why everything Joseph did was successful. Because he had a bigger reverence for God than he had appetite for flesh. How could I do that? See his integrity. See, he didn't first concern himself with the possibility of an infraction against Potiphar. He didn't first concern himself with the potential of infidelity with Potiphar's wife. He didn't first concern himself with the idea of disloyalty or dishonor. No, no. He was first concerned with two main things. He didn't want to participate in this great evil and he didn't want to sin against God. Joseph knew that God's hand was on him. He knew that the reason for his favor was all about God. He was more concerned about compromising his position with God than he was concerned with compromising his position with Potiphar. Look at this. He was more concerned with compromising his position with God than he was more concerned with compromising his ability for prosperity. Are you, are you with me this morning? 
Though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he didn't listen to her. He didn't lie beside her. He didn't, he was, or he, he was not going to be with her. See, though she was relentless, basically, he had resolve in his integrity. I love how the scripture distinguishes between the two here. Look, it says to lie beside her or to be with her. To lie beside her or to have sexual relations with her. He wasn't going to do any. Why? He would not compromise even a little. Here's a question I think that so many ask when facing temptation. How close can I get before it's actually sinful in God's eyes? Or it's the question, how far can I stay away from that sin? See, the line of question reveals a lot about our heart's posture. Depending on which question one would ask when facing temptation reveals one's depth of gratitude and love for God. How close can I get to it before I cross the line or how far can I stay away from it? Because I don't want to even go anywhere near that line. See, Joseph passed the test with flying colors. Though day after day, listen to me, she would not relent, y'all. Day after day, she can, he would continue to resist her advance. Day after day, she would come after him constantly. She did her best to seduce him. One can only imagine how provocative, how brazen she may have become in her desire, trying to achieve that which she wanted to achieve. Look at verse 10. Though she spoke to Joseph day after day, Joseph did not listen to her. He resisted to lie beside her or to be with her, which leads to the third thing we really need to see today. Again, when God's hand is on your life, so is the enemy's target. Now it happened one day. He went to the house to do his work, verse 11. None of the people of the household were there inside. So she grabbed him by his garment saying, sleep with me. But in haste, scripture says he left his garment in her hand and he fled. See, she couldn't stand it anymore. So obviously she conspired. She made a plan. No one's at home. It happened one day. Joseph comes into the house. They're alone. She grabs him. She had grown brazen enough in her seduction. Now she's going to get what she wants to get. And Joseph resists in such a way that he wrestles basically out of her grip by twisting himself out of his garment, if you will, so to escape her seduction, to escape the situation note, I want you to see this. She grabs his garment. She grabs his covering. Have we seen this before? A little different. Is this the second time now that Joseph has lost a tunic? He had walked in integrity with his father, but lost his birthright, lost, seemingly lost his identity at the hands of jealous half-brothers. He, he had walked in integrity with his boss, but now has lost his position, his newfound identity, his authority to the hands of Potiphar's wife. After the painful and confusing loss of the favor, the birthright, and the identity of his family, can you imagine the frustration and the confusion now losing the favor, position, and identity of his new life with Potiphar? After all, Joseph is just doing his best to walk in integrity in all of life. He wouldn't compromise his integrity before God. He, he would not dishonor his father, nor would he dishonor his boss. And here's something for free. Sometimes your integrity can cost you what seems like success. Doing the right thing may just yield to what you perceive to be the wrong result. But can I say this? Listen to me. You can rest assured when the attack on your integrity comes, it's always the enemy when you're the innocent one. Verse 13, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she came up with a plan. She calls the men of the household and says to them, 
See, Potiphar brought in this Hebrew. He brought in this Hebrew to make fun of us. And Joseph came to me to sleep with me, so I screamed. And when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me here and he fled and he went outside. So he left his garment beside her until the master came home and said, now look at the manipulation at Joseph's expense, verse 17. She spoke, to, she spoke to Potiphar now with these words. She said, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make fun of me. In other words, this is your fault. But when I raised my voice to scream, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. See, it's right here. Your slave Potiphar, he came in here to dishonor you and to degrade me. Is this the thanks? Is this the thanks that he gives to you for giving him such favor? Now listen, sometimes, this is so important, sometimes we may have to be willing to leave behind an identity or a position or a promotion if it may cost us our integrity before God. Sometimes we may have to abdicate the definition of success or prosperity that we feel like that we may be living in or even that we feel like we may deserve if it may question our integrity before God. It's as if Joseph keeps having the same thing happen over and over again. Plans against him, born in jealousy, envy, ridicule, rejection, manipulation surrounding him at his expense. What part of this makes any sense to the dream God gave Joseph? What part? Something interesting about the birth of a giraffe. <laughs> probably what <laughs> anybody ever been to the zoo and seen a giraffe be born I, I hope not that's disturbing but I'm gonna tell you a story there's a guy named Gary Richmond happened to be at the zoo at just the right moment to witness the strange and amazing interaction between mother and newborn he was standing next to the animal keeper whose name is Jack Badal with a lot of questions there was his mother giraffe standing while giving birth the calves hooves and head Visible. My man Gary says, when is that giraffe going to lie down? Well, Jack says, she won't. But that's at least a 10-foot drop to the ground. Is anyone going to go catch that calf? And Jack says, well, you can go try if you want. <laughs> he says, I'm going to tell you right now, that mama giraffe, she's got enough strength in her hind legs to literally kick your head off. But go ahead, big boy. I mean, you can. Now soon, it says, the calf hurled forth and landed hard on his back. The infant giraffe just laid right there where it fell, motionless. No more than a minute passes by, right? As something totally shocking happens. The mother giraffe kicks her baby. Kicks the baby. She boots, I mean, she just boots the little baby hard enough to send it sprawling head over hooves. Mortified and somewhat in disbelief, Gary responds, why on earth did she kick her baby? Zookeeper says, she wants the baby to get up. <laughs> sure, you were just born, get up, go feed yourself, pay for your own college, bye, whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> Now, somehow, this baby giraffe knew what the mother wanted and, and struggles trying to rise, right? But after a few feeble attempts, it, the baby just gives up, sinking back to the ground. Boom! The giraffe kicks the baby a second time, rolling over. This time, the calf kind of props itself up with its God-given stilts, finally manages a, a feeble, upright stance. Gary Richmond marvels at what he is beholding 
kind of charmed by the little giraffe, but also freaked out by the mom kicking this baby twice, right? Suddenly, unexpectedly, something happens that takes Gary's breath away. Almost as soon as the calf finally gains this upright perch, right? The mom kicks it off its feet again. This time the zookeeper, Jack, didn't even wait for the question. He says, she wants the baby to remember how to get up. See, in the wild, if that baby can't follow the herd, predators is going to pick it off. Listen to me. It seems that Joseph had a bit in common with this baby giraffe. Seems that he continues to get kicked off his feet over and over, right? Seems that he keeps getting kicked when he's down. Seems that he keeps getting kicked by the very ones who he should expect kindness from. I mean, it's not like Joseph pulled with Potiphar or Potiphar's crazy wife what he had pulled with his brothers and his dad, right? I, I, I never read anywhere where Joseph did anything to cause friction or to cause a faction in Potiphar's home. In fact, um, nowhere did we see Joseph say, hey, Potiphar, by the way, bro, I had a little dream in my siesta. One day you're going to be bowing down to good old Joseph. He didn't do that. He was just doing his thing. Maybe he learned his lesson. So why would Potiphar's wife conspire against Joseph the way she did? Why would she lie and manipulate against him? Why one minute is she trying to seduce him and then the next she's attempting to accuse him? I mean, after all, his whole existence was simply just to serve them. And here he is. So why would he dishonor Potiphar? Why would he choose to degrade Potiphar's wife? How unfair is this? How unjust is this? Nothing about his life has turned the way he anticipated that it should go. Nothing about his life has even remotely reflected even a near part of that dream. So what about you? What about your dreams? Right? Think about this. Have you ever felt maybe some of the way that we feel that Joseph may have felt. Has there ever been a moment in your life everything just completely seemed unfair, even unjust, where it seemed that you keep getting kicked off your feet? Where it seemed that you kept getting kicked um, when you were down? Where it seemed that you were even getting kicked by the very ones who you would have expected kindness from? Have you ever felt that way? Let's keep going because sadly, it goes from bad to worse. Look at this in verse 19. When his master heard the words of his wife, which she had spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and there he was, locked up now in prison. So once again, look what scripture says. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter the envy, the jealousy of those around him, no matter the lies, the manipulation at Joseph's expense, um, as it was when his brother stripped him of his tunic that his father had given him, when he was connived against, when he was thrown into the pit, when he was sold into slavery, not once, but twice, and now here he is once again, lost his newfound identity, lost his newfound community, lost his newfound purpose, all because of greed, manipulation, envy, lust, and lies. And now he finds himself in prison? I mean, this is the worst Lifetime movie ever. I mean, how messed, how messed up is this? He's in prison. As if the stuff from his past isn't bad enough. Now he's gone from a seemingly pretty great purpose in the house of an incredibly important and influential person who has bestowed upon him a level of importance and influence. And here he is now in prison. 
See, Joseph had this incredible dream. He believed that dream was from God. It's a dream that would speak to this greatness. It's a dream that would prophesy into his future. But if looking at all the different situations and seasons he had been through, let's look at these three things that we pointed out. Let's hit that next slide, if you will. Um, let's ask this. I wonder if Joseph ever questioned if God was really with him. I wonder um, if, if he was ever aware, right? Um, or or if, he, if he could ever be, if he thought, could I ever really be successful? Was he ever aware that he was under attack from the enemy? And the question is applicable to me and you today. When we face tough situations, when we face hard circumstances, when we face seasons of potential suffering, do we still believe God is with us? Do we still believe that we will ever see our dream come into fruition, that we will be prosperous or successful, even if it may look different than what we may perceive? All too often, listen, I believe again that maybe we see our suffering, maybe we see our situations, maybe we see the seasons that we're walking through as a real setback. I wonder if Joseph thought, well, this is not how I planned it to go. Because far too often, again, we've Americanized our view of success. Too many times we have a dream and we believe that dream goes like this. You ready for it? Once upon a time, they lived happily ever after. <laughs> Am I wrong? Once upon a time, they lived happily ever after. That's how all the movies are good. Hey, you ever want to get Kelly frustrated? Watch a movie that ends poorly. What was that movie I took you to see with Bradley Cooper? Uh -huh. That guy? I don't know. Star is Born. Remember that? We got to that point in that movie. She was not a happy person in me. She goes, you did not tell me this was going to happen. Why? Because somewhere in us, can I tell you this? We do it at church too. We like the sermons to be wrapped up in a nice little bow so we can go home feeling good about it all. We do it everywhere. Once upon a time, we got to live happily ever after. That's the way we do it. That's the way we've scripted it. It sounds like a great beginning and ending, but let me ask you a question. What about the story in the middle? What about the story arc? What about all the life lived? The ups and downs, the twists and turns. What about the path? What about the process? What if it is filled with pain? What if it is filled with trauma? What if it's even filled with a level of slander? I mean, look at Joseph, stripped of his identity twice, stripped of his purpose, stripped of his family, stripped of his community multiple times. It, you know what? Maybe we need to learn. Sometimes the one that you're leaning into are the ones you should run away from. What if God is sometimes removing those you should not attach yourself to? It, it doesn't mean it won't be painful. It doesn't mean it won't cost you something. However, it does mean that you're once upon a time and they lived happily ever after may need to be translated to something like this. You ready? Somehow, God will work all things together for good. Because yeah, listen, losing his brothers was horrible. Losing his father was unfathomable. Losing his community and his family, losing his identity, losing his birthright, losing his dignity even. I mean, losing his reputation, losing his perceived purpose, losing his potential dream. I'm sure that hurt 
deeply. I have no words, right? I have no adjective that can capture maybe the pain to describe the pain that Joseph may have felt no more than I can capture the pain that some of you have felt or may even be feeling right now because your expectation is not matching your experience because your once upon a time is not looking like they lived happily ever after because the prodigal is still the prodigal because the marriage is still fractured because the finances are still too few because God, where are you? This is not the dream that you put in my heart. And as hard as it is, when the baby passes away, when the cancer doesn't go away, God, where are you? This is not the dream. This is not the dream. See, I can't put to words or even, I wish I could, but I can't put to words the right things that might make that better, that might make you even feel better. But here's what I can say, verse 21. Look what the scripture says again. But the Lord was with Joseph. Come on, y'all, listen. But the Lord was with Joseph. He was with Joseph and it says he extended kindness to Joseph and he gave him favor in the sight now. In the middle of prison, now the warden likes him. What? Look, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we can rest knowing that God is with us. No matter, no matter what you may go through. Remember, the Lord is with, hey, the Lord will extend kindness to you. You give the fullness of your heart. You, you choose integrity over the infidelity of all the idols that the world bows to. And he will, he will give you favor like you can't even describe. So let me ask you a question. If you feel a bit like Joseph in your life, if you feel like maybe you had a dream, but nothing makes sense right now, if you feel like you've been kicked down over and over, went down, if you feel like life is best described as setback after setback, let me pose a question. What if the seasons that we've walked through are not a setback at all, but really a setup? There may have been times that I've struggled with this passage in Romans 8. Trust me, there have been. Because I too have a messed up definition sometimes of success and prosperity. But we're, Paul says, and we know that God, we know, Paul says, we know. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. See, I've sometimes struggled with the idea that somehow, somehow God will work all things together for good. And this is tough, but it's true. Listen, lean in. There are times that God will allow seasons with a measure of suffering to refine and ready us for the mantle of significance. There are times, A.W. Tozer said it like this, it is doubtful whether God can truly bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And while that sounds messed up, I've heard it also said like this, God will crush greatly those he will use mightily. Again, there are times 
that God will allow seasons with a measure of suffering to refine and ready you for the mantle of significance. When the struggle comes, when the seasons come, and they will, it doesn't mean that God is not with you. It doesn't mean that the hand of God is not present. It doesn't mean that the hand of God is not on your life. It just means that the hand of God is your provision in the pit. It just means that the hand and the presence of God is your provision in the prison, on the path towards the promise. God put a dream in your heart. He is not going to show up empty. It may look like it, but listen, God is with us. We will see success for the glory of God. And yes, the enemy's target is also on us. But God is with us. I'm gonna invite the band to come on. Now listen, when God gives you a dream for your life, remember there are times when God will allow seasons with a measure of suffering to refine and ready us for the mantle of significance. And somehow Romans 8, 28, God will cause all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Look what our story of Joseph says next. The Lord was with Joseph. He extended kindness to Joseph. He gave favor to Joseph in the sight of the warden of the prison in verse 22. The warden of the prison, what did he do? Well, he put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. <laughs> so now Joseph is in charge of all the prisoners. And whatever's done in that prison, guess who's responsible for it? Joseph. The warden of the prison didn't even supervise anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord made whatever Joseph do prosper. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we can rest knowing that God is with us. It may not look the way you think. And man, I hope y'all come back for the next two weeks because it gets gooder. <laughs> When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we will be successful. We will be prosperous according to his plan and what gives him the most glory. Because remember, a life fully surrendered and lived for the glory of God will be a fully satisfied and successful life. But when God's hand is on your life, so is the enemy's target. But you can rest in faith because God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. Would you just right now close your eyes and say this out loud, God is with me. Say it again, God is with me. You may be in the pit, but God is with you. Say, God is with me. You may have felt sold out by your family and friends, but guess what? Say it. You may have fallen under spiritual attack that you don't even know if you can recover from, but guess what? You may find yourself in this seeming prison cell but guess what you may feel like your life is one event after another being kicked down but listen to me you haven't been set back your God is setting you up and yeah there's going to be times that God's going to allow those seasons with a measure of suffering to refine and ready us for the mantle of significance. You may hate your situation, but can I say this? Your situation could really be God's preparation. Once upon a time, don't miss the rest of the story. Don't miss the rest of the story. So Jesus, would you minister to us in our need right now? Some of us are hurting. 
Some of us are questioning. Some of us are aching. We're grieving in our soul because we have been kicked down over. And every time we try to get back up, Father, it feels like we're kicked back down. And so would you just minister to us with your grace and your kindness. And may we see your favor in the land of the living as we choose to continue to trust you. Father, it's your dream for us anyway. It's in your hands. It's in your hands. This morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe today you need to take the next step in your faith, whether that be giving your life to Christ or maybe you would like prayer and need to be contacted by one of our pastors. In the podcast description, you will find a link to our website and a link to an online connection card. And if you feel led, there will also be a link there where you can give directly to the ministries of Declaration Online. We would love to hear from you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.